Welcome to the Silver Screen Guide Podcast. Join Corbin and Alan, along with guest hosts, as they bring their love for the cinema to discuss films from every genre and decade. Learn about the history of the film, little-known facts, and insightful explorations while they enjoy discussing your favorite film. The curtain is rising and your podcast is starting. So sit back, relax, and enjoy your guide to the silver screen. Welcome listeners to our review of Soldier. This is your co-host Corbin. I'm Alan. And you might be asking yourself, what in the world is Soldier? Well, we just both recently learned about it as well. I was actually looking up the kind of official alien canon from the from the alien movies from the alien canon timeline well this movie is technically a part of the alien timeline but more so than that this is actually a part of the blade runner timeline as well because since prometheus blade runner and the alien films now take place in the same universe and of course alan and i have already reviewed Blade Runner and Blade Runner 2049. The links for those films to those reviews will be in the description below. So if you haven't heard us review those movies, go ahead and check those out. But I thought, what in the world is Soldier? It's a 1998 Kurt Russell, Paul W.S. Anderson movie. No clue what it is. So we thought, hey, why don't we track it down since, yeah, technically it is a part of the Blade Runner world. So, yeah. It's, it should be interesting to see where this movie goes. Now, if you want to jump straight into the plot summary for this movie and hear what it's about, you want to jump straight to our thoughts on the film, the timestamps are in the description below. Go ahead and scroll down. You'll find those timestamps. Also, if you are listening on iTunes right now or Apple Podcasts, then go ahead and please leave us a five-star rating. That is a great way for us to be f- listed in the rankings for movie review podcasts. And that's a great way for other people to easily find this podcast so they can join the Silver Screen Guide community. We love talking about movies and we love talking about them with you. And it also helps us get closer to our goal of being verified critics on Rotten Tomatoes. And if you're not listening on Apple Podcasts right now, then wherever you download your podcasts, go ahead and leave us a five-star review there as well. We are now on every major podcast platform. It's, I guess, no surprise when it's all said and done that you probably haven't heard of Soldier because as Corbin has mentioned a second ago, you know, neither, really neither of us had really, I've heard of Soldier until you found it one day, what by accident. And we were like, well, I guess this is somewhat attached to the Blade Runner uh, series. It's called a sidequel. Um, So we might as well review it since... Technically, it's in the in the same universe. Um, so, the part of you say, or uh, the writer uh, David Wed Peoples did say that had Kurt Russell's character been down to earth, he would have run into uh, Rick Deckard. Um, that's essentially what we're in here. It's the same universe, just in two different places. Yeah, and David Wed Peoples wrote Blade Runner with Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott directed Blade Runner. He directed Alien. Right. Paul W.S. Anderson would go on to direct Alien vs. Predator. So there is kind of this web of interconnectivity with people who have worked on both the Alien and Blade Runner franchises kind of all coming together here. And that is interesting that the script was written around the time of Blade Runner because that film came out in 1982, which was 16 years 
um, before this movie Soldier here. And, you know, in 98, I don't know how big of a star Kurt Russell's been. He's always been a big star. Um, but he looks really good. He, so, Kurt Russell was born in 1951. So, he would have been 47 years old. And he's pretty ripped here, I would say, actually. Yep. And in the 90s, he was doing a number of things. I mean, um, he had a movie like every one or two two years coming out in the 90s and into the 2000s so yeah. i mean i mean obviously i think everyone knows him from the thing um that's one of the probably the biz biggest roles um probably one of his biggest roles just in general um so i would say that if anything was going to maybe even save this film it would have been the name kurt russell on it and as for paul anderson i mean he did event horizon the year before mm -hmm. i think he left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths with um, Alien vs. Predator. I personally really like that movie, but that's nostalgia speaking. And of course, he's done all the Resident Evil movies, which I've watched all of them last year, and they're all pretty awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, David Webb Peoples wrote Blade Runner, so he does have somewhat authority to insert this into that universe and... Um, I guess straight up front, just to clarify how this is connected to Blade Runner, is you can see the um, flying cars, which are called spinners. You can do you see one buried in the desert around the 21 minute mark. And then around 24 minutes, you see a list of wars tattooed on Todd's arm. That's Kurt Russell's character. One of them is Tannhauser Gate, which is mentioned by Roy Batty in the year 2019, signifying that Todd and Batty both fought at the same battle. And then two characters in the film, Sandra and Mace, talk about the battle in the next scene. Now, as for this film's placement within the timeline of the Blade Runner world, um, the first Blade Runner takes place in 2019, and the other one takes place 30 years later in 2049. This one takes place somewhere in the 2030s, uh, is where I got that from, because the whole movie kind of begins with Todd growing up right. and then landing somewhere in the 2030s. Yeah, I believe it's like 2039 or something like that. It, it's so, yeah, like you said, it's somewhere within the 2030s. 2037, that's what I've got here in my notes. Okay. Um, that, well, at least that was the last year title card that they had when they were going through his montage of the life at the beginning there. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it, there's a connection there. I think the connections that they make are somewhat loose in this, but it, it sounds like they were trying to separate soldier from the Blade Runner trilogy to a point where you're not going to expect the same from soldier that came from Blade Runner. Um, and the trailer kind of shows this, uh, the two trailers, uh, for Blade Runner and then for soldier are very, very different. And even the, the genres within the films themselves are very different. Um, but yeah, that's an, it's an interesting, I guess, idea to take a different approach in the Blade Runner series. But, you know, if you're going to relate it to the, the Blade Runner series, it's it, the connection feels kind of loose. It does feel loose. And of course, it's just the guy who wrote both films. That's his prerogative to say, I wrote this one. I'm going to write this one and I'm going to write it. I'm going to make those connections. But there's not a lot. There's no real lingo mentioned in this movie mm -hmm. that. We don't know if Todd is a replicant. We don't know if um, they're if they're using anything from the Tyrell Corporation. None of that's really mentioned here. But nevertheless, 
you can use your own imagination to assume that these super soldiers are probably replicants because you know replicants were off-world, right. used for wars and fighting. And we actually get to see some of those wars in um, the short Blade Runner blackout. We do get to see um, parts of that war. So, right. you know, I think you can definitely find a place for this in there. Of course, they're totally different movies. Blade Runner is more talking about these cerebral themes. This is mostly just a straight up action movie. Right. Then there's, there is also another movie called Soldier, also released in 1998. Um, <laughs> Don't be confused. We are not talking about that film. Last I checked, that was on Amazon Prime that you could stream for free if you have a subscription. Um, I believe it's an Indian film. Not the same, as far as I can tell. Um, but let's say, Corbin, let's say that you remember or you saw this trailer in 1998 and you were old enough that you could go see a rated R movie would you or would you not? What are your thoughts on the trailer? Okay. So if I was old enough to go see a rated R movie, I, I first of all, I'd probably check to see what else was playing that weekend <laughs> before I would pick this movie. Um, you know, I think this looks kind of like it might be a fun popcorn action movie. Um, it was released at a really weird time in October. So my mind would probably be more so on horror movies than on this one. Yeah. Um, but you know, I probably would wait till home videos since we are, um, already getting close to the year 2000 home videos, much more prevalent. I will say if I was a kid in the nineties, heck yeah, I would go see this movie. This looks awesome and everything I would like as a kid, but it's rated R. So no way I was going to be able to go see it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm kind of in the same camp, you know, there, if I were a kid, this would be pretty cool. If I were the age that I was in 96, which I would have been two years old, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is why I don't remember it at all. Um, I would think that maybe it would be kind of scary, but um, yeah, either way. Sure. Um, yeah. I, the trailer looks uh, kind of uh, cliche to me um, seeing it, <laughs> you know, and if I had known that there was a connection here with the Blade Runner series, I would be very skeptical going into it. Um, because as we, we've talked about Blade Runner extensively in this in its own podcast and then in podcasts outside of it. Um, it's not an action movie, as we said. And this one is, this trailer is very much hearkening on that idea. And uh, I will say that the trailer itself also gives like everything away, <laughs> um, which, you know, we've noted that trailers do do this uh, from time to time. But either way, the trailer isn't super intriguing to me um it feels like a generic action movie um being released in 1998 yeah and you know this is so 90s that it hurts oh yeah to watch this trailer, trailer voice rap, honestly all. trailer voice and all the cuts the really weird music mm -hmm. it just has not aged well whatsoever honestly it's one of the worst put together trailers i am so I appreciate, I like appreciate everything in its time, but I'm still thankful we've kind of like moved beyond that, except in a way, I don't think trailers are too great nowadays anyway. So maybe we need to have a little more pizzazz, but not on this cheesy of a level, I would say. Yeah, it is very, well, oh, it, at this point, it isn't even 2000s yet, but it does have that same vibe, that not late 90s, early 2000s vibe, constantly, you know, the, the voiceover and the very pumped up action and music and such. So, yeah, it's definitely a product of the times. Well, 
So we said people probably wouldn't remember this film. Clearly, we didn't know a thing about it. Did that have anything to do with its box office reception? Uh, well, okay. Um, it sounds like that from what, I'm, from what I gathered, the box office returns um, did not service it very, very well at all. Uh, budget of $75 million, um, which I think Kurt Russell's salary was, I think, $20 million at the time. Um, so, you know, I'm sure a, a chunk of it went to him, but yeah, I'm sure a fourth of it was like his budget, his own salary. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, opening weekend, 6.4 million. Ouch. And domestically overall, it garnered in 14.6 million. Um, oh. adjusted for today is 28.4 million. Uh, there were no foreign numbers. So with their worldwide total at the $75 million budget, Worldwide total of 14.6 million. So it did very bad in the box office. So we can say this is a complete box office bomb. Oh, absolutely. This is a, yeah, a complete bomb in the box office. This is bad numbers. Well, why in the world? When was it released? Wasn't it released late October? Yeah, it was released October 23rd. Um, that is it, late October. Yeah, it's like at that point, you know, you would expect, like you were saying, a horror movie or something to be coming out around this time. Um, well, yeah, it, it released at number five its first week. Um, oh, okay, yeah, with so it, was, it made it into the top five, it did make it in the pot, top five, technically, yes. Okay, um, above it was Pleasantville, which had been which had just released that week, Practical Magic, Ants, Ride of Chucky. And Rush Hour, which is number six. And then it dropped down to number seven the next week. Ah. With Vampires releasing that week, coming out, coming out on number one. And then it dropped down to number 14 the week after that. Oh. Yeah. And it should also be noted that, you know, it, like I mentioned earlier, Kurt Russell's salary was 20 million. It didn't even make <laughs> that back. It made 14.6 million, which is almost his uh, salary, but not quite. Yeah, that's that's probably troubling. That's, I mean, he got a good deal out of it, but then at the same time, I think people would probably be more reluctant to hire him in the future where he doesn't seem to be the box office draw that he used to be in, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, The Thing, a lot of John Carpenter movies, The Thing, Escape from New York, Big Trouble in Little China. That's right, yeah. Um, so yeah, he used to be much more of a draw and it sounds like he, his draw was kind of waning here, mm -hmm. but oh gosh, yeah. so... How does that reflect in the scores? Um, also not very good. IMDb is a somewhat positive 6.0, all things considered. Okay. Um, didn't have a meta score there that wasn't listed on the uh, on the oh, IMDb wow. page. Rotten Tomatoes at a critic score of 12%. Ooh. Audience score of a, a bit more respectable, but still not good, 44%. Cinema okay. score to B plus and Letterbox today 2.7. So Cinema score is looking a lot more positive than anything else here, but everything else is not very good. So it sounds like the people that did go see it, the small handful of people that saw it at the theaters at the time, thought it was actually, you know, a pretty decent action movie, mm -hmm. um, giving it a B plus. But it sounds like critics pretty much hated its guts, and overall it hasn't aged well. Clearly, a six is 
very mediocre, I yeah. think we could say. Oh, yeah. If, for IMDb, very mediocre is where it's teetering on dropping into the fives, which is, you know, typically bad. So, yeah, the scores are not looking too good. So all things considered, it's box office, it's box office uh, returns, it's scores. Things are not looking too good for Soldier, <laughs> and we haven't even started talking about it yet. Well, we are about to start talking about it. So if you haven't seen Soldier and you don't want the film spoiled for you, it is available for you to pick up on Blu-ray if you want or DVD. It's pretty inexpensive. It's also streaming on HBO Max right now. Mm -hmm. So if you want to go watch the movie and don't want to spoil it for you, go ahead and click pause right now. Go ahead and check out the film and then come back and click play. We'll be ready to talk about it. In the year 1996, Children are selected at birth to be conditioned into robot-like soldiers. Over 40 years of conditioning, soldier Todd, played by Kurt Russell, has stood out to be one of the best. However, this soon changes when he is pitted against a new type of soldier who are genetically enhanced, one of them named Kane 607, played by Jason Scott Lee. Todd loses against Kane and is believed to be dead, landing him on the waste disposal planet named Arcadia 234, where here he finds a peaceful community living amongst the trash. He is sheltered by Mace, played by Sean Pertwee, Sandra, played by Connie Nielsen, and their child Nathan, played by either Jared or Taylor Thorne. Todd begins building himself back up, just like he has always been trained to do his entire life. On this planet, Todd starts to develop feelings for Sandra and the town, feelings he has not experienced before. Unfortunately for him, the people vote to send him out as his physique and, con and constant exercising worries them. Just as Todd leaves, Colonel Meckham, played by Jason Isaacs, plans to launch a training mission on the same planet Todd is on, with specific instructions to terminate any life they come across, a mission that is also headed by Kane 607. The ships land as Mace finds Todd, claiming that the decision the town has made was wrong and that they need his protection. Todd returns to defend the city, taking out all of the soldiers. In the meantime, Captain Church, played by Gary Busey, orders the rest of the men that are a part of Todd's group to deploy the, a bomb that would destroy the planet. After activating the bomb, the group noticed that Todd is here and salute him. Following their old captain, they throw out the old remaining officers aboard the ship and take it as their own, saving the city and leaving Colonel Meckham and two of his counterparts to perish in the explosion. Todd holds baby Nathan as they start into space as credits roll. You can see the plot is pretty straightforward. There's really not a whole lot to this movie. Um, but there is one thing I'm going to commend right off the bat, and that's Kurt Russell's performance. I actually found he gave a very good, quiet, robotic way about him in this movie he doesn't have very much dialogue at all very very minimal dialogue yeah he's in like 85 percent of the movie and he i think i read he had no more than 20 lines yeah so it was short but you know most actors i think would just see this as a payday and they can just phone it in i think he really did try and give it uh, a go here because you can tell especially for a 47 year old his physique is incredible and also, mm -hmm. I think he does a fantastic job with just these very robotic stares, just these very blank stares and the way he interacts with other people. So granted, he's not a very emotional character or, or a very deep one, especially writing wise. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, coming across as like the super soldier robot, I think he does a pretty good job. Um, well, oh, great. Oh, great. We're going to disagree <laughs> already. <laughs> I'm going to. Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree on that. Um, I think this is because the character of um, my opposition. My opposition comes from my, my belief that the character of Todd is not exactly one that was written um, to have didn't have much already to him to begin with. Right. 
Kurt Russell, I think he does what he can, what he can with the character of Todd. But like I said, they're really, even Todd himself doesn't have a whole lot to him. Um, and so when these blank stares that he gives for like pretty much the whole movie, um, I feel like they're stares that um, they don't really say a whole lot about his character. They don't, he doesn't really show any expression. And part of that is by design, you know, Todd is, again, he's conditioned from birth to essentially not even emote anything. Um, and he comes to learn over the course of this movie how to feel something and learns what it fe- what it is to be like to have emotions and to care about something. Um, but I feel like, I don't, I don't know if I necessarily blame Kurt Russell for this performance, mostly the script writing, but I feel like the character of Todd and ends up being a reflection in T- Kurt Russell's performance is just not good um, because there is so little to the character when it's all said and done that Caruso, I think he does as good as he could with what he was given, but I don't see anything that's worthwhile with the character of Todd. Okay. So as far as the character goes, as far as any of these characters go, should we go there already? Okay. I guess we will. Maybe I I do have a couple of positives, um, but okay. Let's stay positive. Yeah. I was trying to, but (laughs) (laughs) Until, until my opposition opposition came up. So I think one of the positives is, I guess for me anyway, we're going to see how Alan goes along this. <laughs> I actually think kind of the the color palette of this world and the look of the world and the environment, I like that. I think this kind of brownish orange looks different. A lot of sci-fi can be very colorful and very vibrant, whereas this feels um, much more like rudimentary with everything. Um so, and you know, it is 1998, so I can't really knock the computer visual effects too bad. But I would say for 98, I was actually fairly impressed considering the first full length live action movie, toy, uh, not live action, excuse me, the first full length computer animated movie Toy Story just came out three years before. Yeah, I actually will agree with you on this one. I do think that it does look, the set design is pretty, is pretty dang good, um, all things yeah. considered. They were planning on shooting this um, on location, oh, wow. um, then hurricanes happened. And so all the places oh. that they could were planning on shooting, they couldn't do. Um, at least that was one of the reasons why. So for what they did, for what they, cause they wanted to stay away from studio sets, but then they were forced to later on. So what they were able to do, um, I think, yeah, I do agree. It does look pretty good. They pretty much only go back and forth between a couple of places, um, for the most part, mostly taking place in the town. And then in that like boardroom area um, in the later half of the film. But it does feel very Mad Maxian to me. Yes, yes. Like to a scary degree. Um, so it's a lot of points, especially on the, and on Arcadia 234 or whatever it's called. Um, it's scarily similar to Mad Max. But I will agree, set design, I think, does look pretty good, all things considered. But that's something that I like the kind of exploring that concept of is this is like really far into the future, but these people are still kind of somewhat primitive in their garb, in their dwellings, in their technology. And then in the end, we do get to see their like meager resistance against these like huge, you know, high powered machines and these super soldiers as well. So. I think sometimes sci-fi films can get lost in their world that they create. Um, they're just so eager to show off this, you know, incredible world building. Whereas 
Sometimes I really prefer these more contained science fiction films. Another one I was thinking of was Pitch Black with Vin Diesel, where it takes place on this mostly uninhabited world, and it's just kind of a small group of people. And technically it is in the future, and technically it is on an, on an alien world, but they don't really have all this incredible technology to rely upon. It's really... Um, it's very interesting, I think, when they go with that route. So that's something that I liked about this movie as well, is it kind of has the new world versus the old world. And how does that play out together? No, it's not particularly deep or anything. But nevertheless, it's like, what if you want to see Mad Max in space? Well, you get that. Yeah. Yeah. And kind of keeping with that small scale kind of idea, I think the premise of this movie is very interesting. Um let me speak to that because I like the idea that, you know, a per a human is conditioned at birth to be like a war boy, right? They're conditioned at birth to be a certain way. And that's the only thing that they know. And then when they are, when their restraints are pulled away from them um, and they are presented with something that they start to develop odd feelings for um, in the event of Todd and uh, with Sandra and the, the rest of the little town, um, I think that's an interesting idea of this human who's been built to be essentially a robot for his entire life, literally since birth, that's all he knows, to slowly develop feelings and stuff for these other characters and be kind of figure out what it means to be a real human. Again, I like the premise of this. I can't say the same for execution, but the idea I like. I like that idea where um, it's, you know, it's this human who's, when we finally, when the inciting incident happens, he's not human per se um, in a lot of ways, but he learns what it means to be with those restrictions lifted off of him. Yeah, and let's just go ahead and say that this type of plot is cliche, though. Oh, yeah. No, I absolutely agree. I absolutely Where agree. the outsider comes in to a docile place and he doesn't know what it's like to you know, be domesticated and settle down per se. And then he has to defend the homestead against the invading forces. I mean, if you watch the Mandalorian, we just saw this in one of the episodes, this same exact plot was used because this is a very classic type plot. I would say that's been used a lot, but you know what? They're doing something here with it. Uh, I at least like the setting and look of the film. So I'm going along with it for that. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, even Mad Max did this and like all yeah. of his films, right? <laughs> so again, with the Mad Max relations, this is the same thing here. The I, the plot in the story is very similar to Mad Max. But I, I think what I think what pulls me in is just this idea, you know, you know, which is better, a replicant, someone who's genetically conditioned to be a war boy or a human who's just normally conditioned to be a war boy, right? Which one's better? And it's that emotional side of the human. That's kind of what they're playing off of. That emotional side of the human is always going to win out because it's that it's those feelings, those connections that they that we make as humans, that's stronger than than just pure muscle itself, right? That's kind of where the film ends up landing on. I like the idea of it. Again, the premise is something very different, but that is a positive on, on my end. So what did you think of the action scenes? Because basically the last third of the film is a bunch of, you know, big action sequences in the vein of Rambo or Commando. Yeah. Um, I mean, 
they were action scenes. I guess I can say that. Um, I guess I, I never really found them to be very visually interesting. Um, there was a lot of explosions. It feels like it's kind of hearkening towards like the 80s action movie like Rainbow First Blood Part 2. Um, another kind of feeling that I had going into this movie was, or during this movie is, this feels kind of like for, uh, Rambo. Um, so, I mean, the action's fun, but I it's not something that I found to be super engaging on my end. You know, I thought some of this action was coming too little too late. I think, you know, if you're looking for some big explosions and pretty much cribbing off of First Blood Part 2 where he's taking out the Soviets in the jungle. Yeah. I mean. Right. Yeah. He's sneaking around. Yeah. Like yeah. It isn't like Rambo. Yeah, exactly. So, and they even pull the whole, the very famous scene where Rambo's in the mud against the wall and then he opens his eyes. We have a very similar scene to that here. So, you know, the action I kind of found to get tedious there at the end, it's kind of long, but you know, there's something I still like about a one man army kind of ripping through everybody. Unless it's Rambo last blood, then I hated that. But Hey, we already reviewed that movie. Go listen to the, our thoughts on that. But yeah. you know, I will say the final fight between um, Todd and Whatever that guy's name is, Chase Kane or something. Kane 607. Okay, Kane, yeah. Um, I thought that was a pretty good fight. It was oh, it was all right. I mean, it, at that point, it was, I... What, what I, were you expecting? <laughs> right. This movie is also so predictable that I knew where it was going to go be, before um, before Kurt Russell landed on the, on Arcadia. Like, it's, it's so predictable sure. because, like we mentioned, it's so cliché. Um, that it's it's not hard to know where it's going to end up at the end. Well, that's pretty much the extent of where my positives for this movie. Same, so, unfortunately. <laughs> Alan already brought it up. There's next to zero character development here. And oh, yeah. as, as I completely agree, interesting premise. Unfortunately, these characters really don't go anywhere, except we do have Todd having somewhat of an arc of being... The emotions have been conditioned out of them. They are just mindless murderers. And now he is learning at least empathy at the very least. And he's also learning to defend against just, uh, I don't know, just unbridled uh, murder or evil. Because we would see um, him shoot the enemies. But in order to do that, he would shoot through innocent uh, civilians that were being used as like, you know, body shields, he would shoot through them. So we right. weren't really on his side. He was this just mindless psycho. Um, and, you know, okay, one one more thing. There actually is a pretty good shot um, where it is Todd. The camera is just straight on Todd. And then the camera pans to the right. And then you see all the soldiers lined up behind him. And they both, they all have that same blank stare. I thought that shot was pretty good. Oh, yeah, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's pretty good. I think my biggest problem with this movie one of my bigger problems with we it is its pacing. It's it's so over the place because the first twenty minutes is you know set up to the inciting incident. Todd lands on Arcadia, wrongfully thought that he was dead. That's fine, right? Whatever, you know. Then we spend roughly 20, 30 minutes with the city, and then I think it's around the 40, 45 minute mark that it's when the um, the soldiers attack the city or at least land on the land on the planet and it's just straight action there until the very end right, right? 
it's so disjointed because we spend so little time with what should be the most important aspect of the movie, which is Todd and the city and learning to care about, you know, the city and the people inside of it, which makes this ending scene, which is essentially all action to be more impactful. We spend so little time here that, you know, when the action does happen, like I mentioned earlier, I thought it was okay action. And that was because there, mostly because there was nothing emotionally driving me to with the character of Todd. I never really felt like, you know, oh, he's wanting to, you know, save these people because he spent so much time and has developed a relationship with them. That's what's written on the page, but that's not what I felt. <laughs> yeah, no, there's no real emotional moments um, for this emotionally damaged man. He needs to have mm -hmm. more emotional moments. I like the scene where he connects with Nathan. Neither of them talk. And he's kind of teaching Nathan, you got to be strong and stand up for yourself. You can't be weak. You got to hit, beat the snake. You know, um, that really isn't enough, though, to create yeah. um, Nathan's father, Mace, to think that, oh, we we did something wrong by ostracizing him. We need to we need to go back and bring him back into the fold. Um they also, I feel like they wrote themselves into a corner because I feel like there is kind of some underlying romantic tension between Todd and Sandra, but Sandra's yeah. married to Mace and we don't want to see there be adultery because I don't think anybody's going to be really rooting for that. Yeah, there was something that they tried to do there with her character, uh, between her and Todd. Um, I felt like it was definitely more on Todd. So I can see it. I can chalk it up more to him exploring his feelings right he's finally met a woman um and he's starting to develop feelings for her despite the fact that she is married um so i kind of like that idea that you know he's learning to develop feelings but then of course never, they never follow through with it um <laughs> well as far as we can tell because mace does die um conveniently right when the soldiers yeah conveniently right when the soldiers attack so one of the other things too is that that scene when he is exercised from um, or excommunicated from the from the town, he run he goes off, you know, and he sits in this pipe and then he cries. Right, he, there's a tear that rolls on his face. Yeah. and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, this is such a missed opportunity. You know, had they done this correctly, had they developed his character and then developed the relationship between him and the town and and Sandra and Mace, I feel like this should be this character's harrowing moment. Right, seeing this character finally find something that he cares about, only for that to reject him. And that single tear should be like, you know, the climax of this character's like a low point, right? Right. Should be in theory. But we, of course, it's completely downplayed. It's there, but only to show that, oh, he does have emotion. Um, and that's about as far as it goes. It was such a missed opportunity. Well, and we got to we got to move along to the action scene. Hence, he is in exile for like all of three hours, it seems like. Yeah. Because... <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's ex he's exiled and then Mace quickly runs back to bring him back into the fold. And as you're saying, Alan, he doesn't really have much of an opportunity to realize his loss because it's quickly offered back to him. So, right. yeah, I mean, he should have been probably should have been exiled a lot sooner. And maybe he should have been exiled because um, he created some animosity with Mace because he was getting too close to Sandra. Once again, all kinds of drama there they could have explored and yet. They don't. They just take this really safe. It's very bland how it all plays out, unfortunately. Um, yeah. It feels just very manufactured, like extremely manufactured. And when they kick him out, it does. It, and then when Mace goes and gives him later. Well, even the editing just 
really kind of feels out of nowhere because it's right after he um what what is that guy's name jimmy the pig oh yeah i'm not sure his name but yeah he's the scarf guy yeah the scarf he guy almost, yeah oh yeah he's about to get his head smushed and then they're like okay you're done that that was it that was mm -hmm. the you have one chance and you ruined it you psycho yeah. And, and that's it. So that was the that was the inciting incident. I just felt like some of the editing in this movie was kind of choppy. How instead of discussing potential outcomes, the outcome is just reached. So we need to jump to that outcome. Whereas most movies usually have like transition scenes or kind of these setup scenes for what's to come next. Instead, it's like, eh, well, we don't really have time for those. So just jump onto the discussion to get them out, and then jump onto just bringing him back in unilaterally okay right yeah it's it's unfortunate because again the premise is interesting it feels like a blade runner premise you know this manufactured um soldier who really is a human deep down um you know learns to love a community and stuff i think that's a very blade runner like idea um yeah this exploring humanity and then of course uh seeing the opposite which is genetically enhanced soldiers they completely botch it. You know, I, I feel like it's, I, I feel like their main focus was this ending climax, right? It, it feels like this is the thing that they wanted to be like the harrowing achievement of this movie because it's 40 minutes long. It, it's it's a long, the climax is so long and it gets to a point where it's also itself is edited so disjointedly because it's not only intercut between, you know, what's happening on the ground and then the really honestly boring boardroom scenes with Captain <laughs> Church, I think is his name, yeah. and uh, the other guy, the, the evil one, I, for, I forget his name, Mechum, um, Colonel Mechum, that's his name. Um, Intercut between them, and then like it completely cuts all tension that was built. <laughs> so I feel like this was what they're focused on is this action scene. You know, they want to get this to be like the best thing, but it's so disjointed itself because it goes through so many different phases and it's so long. That again, it's not engaging to me. And that's that's how I I described it as tedious earlier. How after a while it's like, okay, come on, we get it. It's taking forever in a day. But I will say, worst scene in this movie goes to that bizarre song about horses during that odd montage scene. Oh yeah. That was just yeah. straight up bizarre where we've got looks of Todd looking at Sandra, Mace looking at Todd. They're all looking at each other. There's this weird song about horses and it's this just funky montage that has no place in the film. And once again, it's supposed to build tension, but at the same time, none of it ever comes to any fruition. That was just yeah. weird. Yeah. I honestly, I completely forgot about that scene until you just brought it up. Um, That's how weird it is. Yeah. <laughs> that was weird. I mean, my, my second least favorite scene is when Nathan, who... He is a little boy. He's played by twins. Um, I really hate it when child actors, they're like, oh, he lost his voice, so he can't talk anymore. Doesn't mean he doesn't have emotion. Um, right. This little boy has no emotion. Bangs the snake's head on his parents' bed. I found it to be utterly stupid. And then Mace realizes he was wrong. I'm like, oh, man. At this point, I'm just chuckling to myself how silly these characters, like, minds change and they're like, childlike rationale for for doing right. certain things right and uh, yeah i mean like you kind of brought it up earlier the character of nathan is supposed to be like a reflection of our main lead todd right right um th they both don't speak but uh nathan is of course kind of like a restart of what todd could be 
Um, yeah, but, well, yeah. And we get that in the but, final shot of him holding him. Right, right. It leaves it, yeah, they don't really go anywhere with that. It's brought up, and then it's uh, there. They kind of have some kind of arc when baby Nathan does grab the snake, which there seem to be a lot of snakes in this world. Um, <laughs> seems like almost everywhere they go, there's, a, there's that same snake, which I think they use the exact same snake. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's one of the, another thing where they, you know, the idea is there, but its execution is just so underlived. I don't know how anybody has lived in this world since snakes are crawling into everyone's bed. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's I, just I, a normal occurrence. Of course, I didn't like the fact that Todd called. Okay. Okay. I didn't even bring it up. His name is Todd. Our, yeah, you're right. I forgot about that too. Yeah. Okay. If we have any Todds listening out there, I'm not slamming your name, but I'm how sure you're a fine fellow. You know what? Maybe it makes you happy that for once Todd gets to be the star, there's never going to be a Corbin. I'll tell you that much <laughs> as the lead arrow, unless I write it that way. But all I'm saying is this guy needs to be, he's not Rambo. He's not Duke. He's not some very tough sounding name. I'm sorry, but Todd just doesn't sound, it's just an odd choice for a name. It is, for yeah, a, it is a strange choice. And usually, you know, your, your, the character's name should have some kind of reflection to what the character is, right? To what, who the character is, their name should reflect them. Um, I don't really see that here. Um, it seems somewhat like a jock name from a high school. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I, it doesn't, it seems like such a strange name to give your main character who's a conditioned soldier, Todd. Well, you know, and Kane is a much better name. Kane actually looked like he was this kind of formidable, you know, whatever you want to call him, super soldier 2.0. He's the, yeah. he was the Nexus 7 or the Nexus 8 or something. And honestly, right. I thought he actually kind of looked like Dave Bautista from Blade Runner 2049, who is, I think, a Nexus 8. Yeah, he's something like that. Yeah, no, you're right. And that's also an interesting point, too, because Cain, of course, is a name from the Bible. You do also have Captain Church, mm -hmm. you know, a name from the Bible. Um, so I feel like they're trying to do something with some biblical names and some, maybe some themes here. But again, they don't do anything with it. They don't develop it at all. So no. I may be, I might be the crazy one for all I know. I will say this movie also is, we've already mentioned it's pretty bland, but I also say it's pretty cheesy. Um, especially in the very final shot, I found to be ultimately cheesy where Nathan, uh, Todd picks up Nathan and then he just points straight out at the stars without saying anything. Yeah. Zoom in quickly to the reflection of the stars on them. I'm like, oh gosh, cheesy, Ugh, bad ending. Yeah, and it's, it's, you know, held by the two characters who can't speak at all. And they're also kind of, both kind of boring, so, you know. Yeah, and you know, uh, uh, Jason Isaacs is a great actor, I think. He did a fantastic job as Lucius Malfoy in the Harry Potter series. Um, he's done a lot of other voiceover work and acting, and I think he always gives a great performance, and he, has, he does a great job of doing um, an American accent because he's actually British. He is not good in this movie. He's actually probably one of the worst elements of this movie, acting-wise at least, um, is uh, Colonel Meekum. He's terrible. Yeah, he's very, very, very over the top in this movie. It's it's kind of funny in some ways to, you know, to hear him speak, especially in this ending, because he's like, if they're, because I think it's Captain Church, he's like, 
well, what if there are civilians on this planet? And he goes, well, if they are, we'll consider them trespassers and we'll <laughs> kill them. We'll terminate them. Right. I mean, in, in some ways, it's also just kind of funny to just to, just to watch him speak because he's always so over the top. Well, yeah, I, I didn't care for any of the stuff between Church, Meekum. The one guy's name is Rubric. Oh, yeah. Um, the yeah. lady is Sloan. These are like non-characters, essentially. They have right. nothing to do. I found all of that stuff to be boring. And I mean, what are the odds that that they get dumped on a trash planet and then they decide that's where they want to go fight who knows who on the trash planet right i don't know right um what a what a coincidence well and another biblical reference is they plot a course in the end to the trinity moons that's right yeah that was the next the other one i was thinking of was the trinity moons yeah another biblical reference you're right and of course todd you could possibly view him as a messianic or christ figure who is an outcast who comes in he's misunderstood he's rejected but in the end he does vanquish evil and then he basically lifts them off out of their desolate planet into the stars, into the heavens, you could say. So definitely, you know, when you first mentioned the whole biblical thing, I didn't really see it. But now I'm like, yeah, they're trying for something here. Yeah, there is, it's very weak. And the only reason why <laughs> I think I, I really noticed it is because Kane 607 and then Captain Church, you know, pretty right. obvious, I would say. Um and then, of, co of course, the Trinity Moons. Yeah, can't forget that as well. One of the actually funny scenes where I'm like, oh, this movie might be so bad it's good is when um, the leader of the group, who is played by uh, Brenda, Brenda Wheel, she plays Hawkins, um, when she stands up there and she gives the classic, oh, my gosh, I love that. And oh, yeah. then <laughs> they shoot a full-size missile at her, and she mm -hmm. just goes flying off the edge. I thought that was hilarious. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, one other thing too is there is almost a actual literal Chekhov's gun in this story. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Colonel, uh, I keep forgetting his name. Colonel Meckham. Uh, Meckham. Yeah. Colonel Meckham in the opening, he shoots one of the soldiers um, who goes to fight Kane 607 and then fails and he's hanging upside down. He shoots him in the opening and then towards in the climax, um, he shoots. Uh, Captain Church, because he's opposing him. Um, I thought oh, that yeah. was kind of interesting. Not uh, a completely literal checkoff gun, but it's it's close enough, I would say. Yeah, that that's a good point. Yeah, uh, yeah, he does kind of indiscriminately kill and or murder, I should say. And you know, I'm never quite aware of who these soldiers work for. What's what's the state of the world at that point why are they being replaced mm -hmm. there's always this kind of really dumb power struggle between colonel meckham and church yeah and it just doesn't ever really make much sense we don't ever really care um the one time i do think the sets look bad is when they are in the warehouses um kind of doing the testing the rope climbing and whatnot i really mm -hmm. hate those gaudy like blue and green lights behind them oh yeah they always it, make a whooshing sound or they fly past the camera yeah, I think it just looks ridiculous. And it's like, what are what are you lighting up this place with? Why are they lit with blue and green lights? Like, it just looks like a horrible visual design from the late 90s that I'm so glad we don't have anymore. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I didn't like that at all. Well, Alan, what is your rating and recommendation for Soldier? Well, Soldier was an 
interesting ride. Um, <laughs> it was not what I was expecting at all. <laughs> um, I kind of wondered, you know, given that this is technically related to the Blade Runner series, you know, what what else are they going to do with what Blade Runner had already laid out for them, right? Which they do some, they try to do something with. You know, we said it before, the idea, the premise is an interesting one. Um, conditioned human learns to become a human. And the what's better than being, what's better, a genetically modified human or a conditioned human? A conditioned human because they at least have the ability to, to feel something. And that love is the thing that drives them to be stronger than the genetically enhanced humans, right? Interesting idea. Unfortunately, um, this movie is all over the place. It it has its pacing is so horrible that it tries to set up the civilians of the city, but uh, there is so little connection there that I could care less. And then when this big action scene does happen that goes on for so long, um, I still feel nothing because not only do we have no connection to the mate to the city, but we also have. Uh, an action scene that is so poorly paced that it is, you know, without any emotional weight that I am not engaged at all. But it's also cutting in and out between a very boring bo uh, boardroom scene that's going on throughout it. So um, can't say I recommend this one um, really at all. I don't really see. I'm already honestly, I when I finished it, I was like, oh, man, I hope I remember mo a good at least something from this movie to talk about tomorrow because um, I was afraid that that wasn't going to be the case. So. Luckily, I did take notes so that I could at least refer to that. But um, all that said and done, can't say I'll be returning to this one anytime soon. So um, I'm going to give it a two out of ten, but I most definitely not recommend. A two? Yeah, a two out of ten. Oh, wow. Okay. I, I didn't expect that. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Well, Soldier, despite quickly falling into obscurity due to bombing at the box office, nevertheless visually and thematically influenced two major science fiction films to come in the next two years, the 2000 edition of Dune and Vin Diesel's Pitch Black. I highly enjoy Pitch Black, so it was nice to see a film with a similar style. Kurt Russell gives a solid performance as a tough, emotionally robotic super soldier that struggles to assimilate into domestic life. As mentioned earlier, the set design appears to be something out of Dune, or more specifically, straight out of the Mad Max trilogy. That being said, not all of the set design is well done. Gaudy, colorful lights highlight the background, along with toyetic machines and costumes proliferate the screen, which make for an uneven design. As for the writing, David Webb People's script is an interesting premise. Initially, I was hooked, but quickly the story lost my interest, because the storyteller severely struggled to figure out how to create compelling characters. Once the big Rambo ripoff action scene rolls onto the screen, I'm already settled in for a catnap. Paul Anderson's movie is a fairly mediocre addition to 90s science fiction. Clearly, this movie doesn't hold a candle to Scott or Villeneuve's Blade Runner films. If you're looking for a popcorn flick lightly sprinkled into the Blade Runner universe, the inoffensive runtime, eye-catching set design, and action pieces may provide enough for your excursion. Otherwise, Soldier receives four stars out of 10 with a not recommend. So, you know, this was something else I was going to bring up earlier, but I just wanted to get your thoughts real quick. You, we mentioned that the script was written about 15 years before they started shooting this movie. I'm wondering what draft of the script they were 
you know, shooting off of, because a lot of this stuff does feel like very first draft material. Like there was a lot of refinement that, I mean, we know David Webb Peoples is a better writer than this. I mean, Blade Runner is an incredibly written film and he was Oscar nominated for writing Unforgiven. He also wrote 12 Monkeys. So, I mean, he knows what he's doing. I just feel like with Soldier, I don't know what, what draft of the script and how much they brought him onto the project. Uh, we don't know, but I don't know. What do you think? First draft material here? I mean, it, it really feels like it. Uh, apparently, um, yeah. it was rewritten by Tony Gilroy. Um, I, still, I feel like this should have undergone a number of other drafts before it was really ready for something. But then again, this also is the 90s, and I feel like, I don't know, there was some pretty solid science fiction in the 80s. There was also some pretty cheesy stuff, too. Um, but then the 90s, not a, not a lot as far as science fiction goes. Listeners, if I can't think of something right now, then definitely fill me in on what else came out in the 90s that was good because I'm about to talk about another movie that came out the same year. Okay, I'm, I'm going to save it. But anyways, Alan, do I even need to ask, is Soldier a pickup or pass? Yeah, it's going to be pass. It's a pass. Okay. <laughs> what if you found it for a dollar? Pro still then probably not um yeah i don't really see too much value in this one even though it is connected to the blade runner okay i'm gonna actually pick this one up I, I i don't know when i'll pick it up it's going to be in my collection eventually i would like it for under 10 bucks though i still think there's something kind of fascinating about it and intriguing about it that i'd like to just have it in my collection but eh, yeah it's gonna have to be cheap when i get it up well, Alan, what other movies or TV shows do you recommend the listeners? Clearly, you don't recommend they check out this one. So what do you recommend instead? So I'm going to recommend um, Mad Max 2, The Road Warrior specifically. Uh, there are a lot of, as we mentioned, Mad Max vibes all over this movie. And so I just feel like that if you like this visual style, uh, you'll probably enjoy Mad Max as well. So that's what I recommend. So I've got a number of suggestions. My first one is going to be Star Trek Insurrection, which also just so happened to come out in 1998. And I just so happened to give that movie a four out of 10. Now, clearly a four is not recommend, but I'm saying if you want to see movies that came out the same year that are very similar, this movie gave me some serious made for TV Star Trek vibes. Um, even the set design still felt very made for TV ish. And I thought, ah, this would fit very well into an episode of Star Trek, the next generation. That being said, speaking of made for TV, the sci-fi channel put out two years later, Dune, which this looks a lot like that. Um, also, I think there's this story found within this movie I'm about to recommend, but it's told far better. And that's pitch black where Kurt Russell and Vin Diesel are both these outcasts from society and they're both these kind of merciless killers, but they, but Vin, Vin Diesel's emotional arc is far stronger in pitch black. And there also are in this kind of desolate alien world with very similar color palettes. So definitely check out pitch black. Of course, I'm going to recommend to you Rambo first blood part two and commando. And then Funny enough, I also have down Mad Max the Road Warrior as a suggestion as well. So it probably should come as no surprise there's no Soldier 2. 
in there's no mention of this whatsoever in Blade Runner 2049. Right. Yep. There's essentially no reference to this anywhere <laughs> at all. It's not going to be referenced and definitely is not going to be getting a sequel with a, that bad of a box office. No, which it clearly did not because the next way that came about again was 2049 a few years ago. So, yeah. Well, the question after the show, listeners, is do you choose to view this in the Blade Runner universe? Clearly, the writer says it is. Clearly, there is plenty of explicit, you know, visual cues and people talk about that. Yeah, this very much could be within that universe. It's its own thing, though. So do you choose to see it that way or not? I'm curious to see what you think, listeners. Well, this is it. I got to say goodbye for a little while. So sorry you had to leave on this kind of a note, unfortunately, leaving <laughs> a movie like Soldier to go. You know, it wasn't too bad. It was still kind of a nostalgia trip into 90s science fiction, which I hadn't really traveled there very much. But, uh, you know, it was, uh, as you said, it was an interesting ride, however you put it. Mm -hmm. So I am going to be going away for a while. The whole reason is I just got married two days ago. By the time you are listening to this, I will be a married man and I'll be gone for a couple of weeks. But don't worry, that doesn't mean that Silver Screen Guide is going on hiatus. Alan will be here with some special guests to review some great movies. That's right. Alan, do you want to let him in on what those movies might be? Yeah. So what we'll be looking at is we'll start off with Inside Lewin Davis from 2013. This is a Coen Brothers film. Uh, following that, we'll look at Baby Driver, uh, an Edgar Wright film from 2017, followed by Swiss Army Man, an A24 film that came out a few years ago. Uh, then I'm very excited about this one, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, which is a Guillermo del Toro produced horror film that just came out not long ago. After that, we'll finish off by looking at the Chronicles of Narnia trilogy that came out in the early 2000s uh, by Disney. Um, I have seen a good number of these. I think about I've seen over half of these. So I'm very excited to talk about them, especially kicking things off with Inside Lewin Davis. So yeah, you're definitely not going to want to miss those listeners. Those are some very critically acclaimed films that they're going to be talking about uh, right off the bat there. And then the Narnia trilogy, I'll be very interested to hear their thoughts on those movies as well. So I'll still be listening. I'll be listening along with all of you as well to see what their thoughts are on those movies. And I will be returning. Don't worry. I will be back. I'll be back for the Halloween special. So that's the next time you will hear me listeners is for the Halloween special. So I will miss being here on the podcast for a while, but it'll be good to take a break as well because I've been doing nothing but crazy wedding planning with my fiance. We're ready to kind of unplug from the world and just take a break. So in the meantime, you know, you've got Alan and his guests to listen to. And of course, we always have tons of stuff in the archives as well, where out, both Alan and I talk about that. So mm -hmm. uh, plenty of stuff to choose from. We have years worth of content, content from every genre. And whenever you're looking for something to listen to, we always in the description below, we always make recommendations for our, our podcasts that have similar themes that feel like similar movies that we think would be good for you to launch off of so if you haven't been checking the description below make sure to do that because we kind of curate that list for you so you don't necessarily have to go back through four years worth of content it's all we give you a curated list of what we think would be good to go along with this podcast as well right in the description well alan thanks for joining me sure thing 
All right, listeners, Alan, we'll see you next week. I will not, but I will be back. So it's been good. I'm looking forward to coming back and we will see you next week with... Next week is going to be Inside Lewin Davis. So like I said, I'm very excited about this one. Um, But if you are ever confused, if you ever want to know what's going to happen next week or weeks following, uh, always check the description because that will tell you exactly what the schedule is going to be like for the next few weeks ahead of time. All right. We will see you then, listeners. Hey listeners, it's Corbin. Don't forget to check out the exciting links in the description below that will connect you with more great movie reviews for your listening pleasure and our YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter page. And of course, our official website where you can read great articles and sign up for our free weekly newsletter. Also, if you want exclusive bonus content such as extra movie reviews, movie commentaries, and our thoughts on the latest movie news and trailers, plus more, then check out our Patreon page. It's a great way to help keep this show free, and it gives you great content that's yours to keep. All of that and more is found in the description below. Don't forget to subscribe whether you're on YouTube, Apple, Google, or Stitcher, or your favorite podcast service. And while you're at it, please leave us a five-star review so other movie lovers can more easily find our podcast. We love talking about movies, and we love talking about them with you. So don't forget to share with your friends and family, and we'll see you next week, listeners. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.